welcome to episode 110 of Tea or Books. I'm Simon. I'm Rachel. In today's episode, we will be doing Do We Care Where Characters Work? Another in our much beloved, I think, <laughs> Do We Care series. In the second half, we will be comparing The True Deceiver by Tevi Jensen and A Helping Hand by Celia Dale, the latter, latter of which very kindly uh, given review copies by Dawn Books. Thank you very much, Dawn Books. Yeah, thank you. Um, more on those anon. But before we get there, Rachel, what are you reading? How have you been? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I've been quite busy for a few weeks. I've got a job now, so I'll be work, starting work from next week, which will give me an excuse to be useless with everything. <laughs> um, what's, your, what's your job? So I'm going to be running the school's programmes at the Grove Theatre, which is very exciting. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Well, you will now be finding me during the week at Shakespeare's Grove. If anyone wants to come say hi. Um so yeah, I'm very excited. It's going to be a big change, obviously, from teaching, but I'm still in touch with schools and kids and stuff, so that'd be nice. Um, so yeah, that's my big news. Um, yeah, very prestigious, gracious. Yeah, well, you know, I feel quite special. <laughs> and, um, but you know, it's a very lonely position. I'm not anyone special. Don't, um, so no, of course you are. Yeah, I just uh, I shall be enjoying mucking in and meeting everybody and being surrounded by interesting creative people and the offices are literally backstage so there's like a little curtain and you can just peer in and you can see everything that's happening which is really cool oh wow yeah so i'll enjoy that um so because i've been i will be starting work very shortly i've been making a concerted effort to read all of the books that i've had piled up before i start because i've been going a bit crazy at the charity the charity shop down my road has had a load of really good stuff lately so i've just bought loads of stuff and i was like you know i've got to read Mm. so um i've had some really good eclectic reading so um i've been meaning to read this for ages and i saw it in the charity shop so i bought it in my day which is oranges are not the only fruit by Jeanette, mm. which i really enjoyed and um i've just finished penelope lively's autobiography of her childhood she's written several autobiographies but um this one is specifically of when up to the age of about 12 it's called oleander jacaranda um, I've read that. Yeah, yes. it's really, really good. She has a really um, interesting upbringing in Egypt before and during World War II. Um, and it's just, and I think that experience really informed her writing of Moon Tiger, which is one of my favourite novels. So um, I just found that really interesting. You know, typical sort of childhood of being brought up by, by a nanny and not by her parents. And it's also a really interesting meditation on childhood perception and how, um adults and children perceive things completely differently so um yeah i've really enjoyed that if you've got any interest in egypt or penelope lively or childhood or anything it's uh, <laughs> um and i've just started kate atkinson's new book which is called shrines of gaiety and it's really good so far it's based on i can't remember the name of the woman because i i didn't want to read the afterword because i was like i don't want to read anything yet (laughs) it ruins anything but it's based on the real uh she says partially based on the life of a woman who set up a load of nightclubs in london before what um before the war like between the wars and she had like a huge number of children and she was involved in like the underworld of London. Oh, wow. um, and yeah, so I'm not quite sure where it's going yet in terms of the plot. There's a policeman, there's a woman who's going to be an undercover person in the club. There's the woman who runs the clubs, there's her children. And Kate Atkinson's great at sort of 
you know, each chapter gives you a different character's voice. So you're sort of cutting in between. That's sort of her style. So I love her as a writer. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to reading it. So, yeah, that's what I'm reading. What about Lovely. you? Um, yeah, I've just listened to the audiobooks of two memoirs and essays that ended up being strikingly similar to each other in, to, in such a way that I've actually confused them a bit. Uh, one was Managing Expectations by Minnie Driver. Indeed, um, that's a yeah. random one. Yeah, well, I, I, I think I'm a bit young to have, for her like heyday in cinema when she was at her peak of, I guess, commercial fame. Yeah. But I really love her singing. So I mean, people yeah. may not know that she released a couple of albums of songs that she wrote back in the early 2000s, and I think they're absolutely wonderful. And I always think she's she's quite a refreshing, interesting person. She's, she said she's great in Starstruck, if anyone's seen that. She only has a few cameos, but she's so funny. So I thought, why not? She tends to speak her mind, doesn't she? Yes, yeah. And my it's an interesting... same, Simon, is that she's my celebrity lookalike. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. According to a lot of people. I have yeah. actually been mistaken for her once while out. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, you should read Managing Exhortations to get it. <laughs> it's interesting because I thought at first it was just an autobiography, but it is it is sort of more essays because it's basically snapshots. So there's a couple from her childhood there's a, and then a different intervals in her film career, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't hear about some of the biggest uh films that she's been in except in passing and all that sort of thing but yeah again very candid very refreshing and very um interesting about her relationship with her parents uh the other one was clementine hmm clementine something (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna quickly look that up um uh, maybe just pause while i Well, they look that up. Not Clementine Churchill, is it? No. Here we go. Uh, and the other one is, <laughs> I'm going to pretend, no, I'm going to leave all this in, is <laughs> How We Love by Clementine Ford. Yeah. Um, or possibly Clementine Ford. I don't know. Um, which I was in, heard about Clementine Ford, who was a feminist writer in Australia, because a cat in Neighbours was named after her. Oh. Um, that's not her main claim to fame. But she, she's written a book called, I think it was... Boys Will Be Boys, and another one with girls in the title that I don't remember. But this this book called How We Love is, again, more of a sort of memoir and essays, and it looks at different loving relationships or relationships that should be loving in her life, many of which are boyfriends and girlfriends, but some of which are friends, parents, other relationships she's had. Uh, and both Minnie Driver and Clementine Ford had mothers who very suddenly died of pancreatic cancer, I think it was, or something like that. So that, those two essays, which I listened to in the same week, was very, very uh, interesting how the serendipity there. Yeah. Yeah, both very good. I would recommend them both. Um, the How We Love is free on Audible if you've got Audible subscription and Mentioning Expeditions is not. I paid money for it. <laughs> where, where, where are you when you listen to your audiobooks out of interest? Uh, almost always in the car. So. Um, yeah, I do, or on a walk, but then, but yeah, more often in the car is where I do most of my audiobooks. In the house, I, if I'm listening to stuff, I tend to listen to podcasts in the house and, and audiobooks when I'm doing a longer drive. Right. But I listen at times two speed, so it's quite, you know, get through it. Right, yeah. So I listen to this on the way to Harry Potter World, which is where I went <laughs> um, oh. a little while ago. Did you enjoy it? Well, I did, yeah. It was fun. Um yeah, I, I loved I loved the books. I've not read them for years. I never particularly loved the films, but it's really interesting to see how many films are made. I think it's a world I don't know much about. So, 
looking behind the scenes at how they made Gringotts or something like that was yeah fascinating have you been I haven't actually no um I, I always feel like it's a I, I will go at some point but I've never, never mm, it is expensive yeah it is it's and yeah. also it's quite difficult to get to for me so I'd argue probably easier than for me <laughs> well yes true but I don't remember <laughs> well true 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 Right, so yes, today's topic, uh, chosen by Rachel, although yeah. re- rephrased by me, <laughs> is uh, do we care what characters do for a living work? I can't remember how I phrased it earlier, but we're basically talking about jobs in books. Is it interesting or important for us to to know what characters in a novel do for a living? Do we want to see those scenes at work? And what maybe we could talk about interesting um, portrayals of jobs that we've seen in novels. Yeah, okay. I mean... I love that I came up with an idea and you still couldn't resist tinkering with it. Well, that's dr- teamwork makes a dream work, yeah. We work together and come up with something gold. We do. Um, so I um, came up with this topic because I was thinking about all the books lately that I've been reading that have um, actually a lot of them been focused around uh, not necessarily workplaces themselves, but um, about people's jobs and how people's jobs sort of shape them and what they do with their lives. Um, and I've, I mean, the first thing I've, I've been thinking about rereading um, all my Dorothy Whipples. And obviously, one of the most enjoyable examples of, of for me of workplace is I was thinking to myself, how many books have I read that have been set in shops is High Wages, where... Um, the main character Jane has her own um, shop and a clothing shop, and it's quite a, an early example of a ready ready made clothes shop rather than people buying fabric and um, making their own clothes. But she does start in the shop in a department store, um, which also made me think then of um, the novels of the nineteenth century that you've got, um, of particularly French novels like Zola's set in uh, department stores and I find that really interesting um, and I can think of I've, I remember reading another book that was set in a department store and I can't remember what it's called now. Was it Business as Usual? Um, Jane Oliver and Anne Stafford? No, I haven't read that yet and I oh, know it's I wonderful yeah but I think the a book set in a shop or a place like a shop where you've got a sort of a restaurant or something where you've got customers coming and going constantly um, it's really you- interesting. Have you read Babacombs by Noel Stratfield under her under the no. Susan Scarlet name? No, I haven't actually either. But years ago, Lindsay uh, got in touch to suggest that we compare High Wages and Babacombs, and at that point, Babacombs was impossible to get copies of. But it's just recently been reprinted by Dean Street Press slash Farid Middlebrah, Sean Connery, Farid Middlebrah. Um, so uh, it's another one that's in a shop, so you might enjoy it. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I love the what I love about reading novels, certainly novels from the nineteenth and, and early twentieth century set in workplaces, is seeing the kind of the practical details of what it was like to work mm, and mm. how different it is to how you work today. So, seeing the sort of systems in place, and obviously everything is much more um, kind of everything's done by hand, and everything's much slower process. So I really enjoyed also in high wages seeing the transition from the the quite traditional department store that's sort of a haberdashery and fabric and all that sort of stuff where people are coming in to buy you know stuff to go home and, and have made up, and then the transition 
from that into a, a different type of shop and you see how shopping itself changes and how the experience of shopping changes and what you are what you can buy and um how that also transforms lives but you also see the workplace you see the, the gossip you see the competitiveness you see the ambition and it's quite unusual actually from that period of time to read about a woman who's at work and i think from memory as well pin to see the peep show um by f Tennyson. Oh yes yeah they're one of the main character in there she works in a I think it's a milliner's, um, and so you've got uh, dressmakers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And um, you see that side of things as well of of the customers coming in and the the boredom. She hates the job, um, but that kind of women's lives and the opportunities they have to do work. You're either a governess in a private home, or you know you're out and about. You're in a typing pool. You're in an office, or you're in a um, in a shop one of the I mean I love Dorothy L Sayers novels and actually my favorite of hers that I've read was is Murder Must Advertise which is set in an advertising agency um mm. in the 1920s presumably and that's absolutely fascinating to see how um an office environment worked at the time and just the reams of letter writing or everything like you can't do anything without writing a letter to somebody about it and I just think gosh how much time must have been taken up by, I mean, things that now we just shoot off an email and you get an instant response. If you needed something from somebody, you had to write them a letter and then someone had to take it to them and then you'd have to wait for them to sort of send it all back to you again. I just thought, wow, it's just a, everything took so much longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, I agree with you that it's interesting to see snapshots of professions uh, that, maybe have shifted or changed or that were unusual for women to do too. The two that came to my mind were novels about women doctors. Um, Dangerous Ages by Rose McCauley has a character who, she, I don't know how, I don't think we actually see much of her at work, but she is trying to get back into the profession of being a GP as after she's, her children have grown up a bit. And there's something, I mean, that novel was published in the twenties, but there's something so, modern about a woman trying to get back into work after raising children isn't there that's you know still um facing discrimination or you know conscious or unconscious uh when that tries to happen and another one again about a mother who's also working as a doctor is the doctor's children by josephine elder which as a novel i think isn't great but is fascinating from its portrayals of what a gp did at the time um and similarly actually it's not about a woman but ag cronin's the citadel a really interesting novel about being a rural doctor and the reprint i read said on it that it led to the creation of the nhs i'm not sure how true that is but it, i think it was certainly brought to people's attention the the fact that a national health service was needed that you're all these people who couldn't afford to have the health care they needed and, and that sort of thing or, or even the fact that it wasn't good regulation because um yeah, the Josephine Elder one is interestingly written around, I think around the same time, maybe a bit later, but they're looking at, it's that there's so many people talking about the regulation of the National Health Service and they're quite anti it because they think that GPs will lose their independence, they won't be able to um, treat people as they'd wish, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, whereas the Citadel, whilst the main character is also a doctor, is much more about uh, the patient's lives, I guess, and, and the patient's experience. So, yeah, interesting to see those two things because we think, particularly in this country, uh, that the NHS was always a given and always a wonderful thing, which, um, yeah, interesting to see at a time of turmoil before and after its creation what people were thinking. 
Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I think what I find quite interesting about that as well is is how often doctor surgeries were actually in people's houses, mm-hmm. and so that's quite um, interesting to read books. I mean, the Misread series, the Thrush Green series. There's a a doctor in that where his house is is also where his doctor surgery is, and it's the same in um, oh, let me think, the Persephone book by Elizabeth Cambridge, Hostages to Food. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah doctor isn't he and it's also in the house so that blend of of work and home and but we think of working from home as being quite a new phenomenon but actually (laughs) in the past it was more common than not really to be earning money from home and thinking about that divide and I from in the thrush green series it's actually sort of like a it's a bone of contention because it's you know patients feel like they can just drop in whenever and it's like well actually the surgery hours just because we're here it doesn't mean that we're here to to look after you all the time um so yeah that's quite intriguing but I I think the job we most often see in fiction is is the police or the detectives now Mm -hmm. um very very um popular particularly now um I think police novels um they're so popular on TV as well. You know, all those ones that I don't sort of tend to read because they're really gory and graphic. Yeah. <laughs> um, people seem to find it absolutely fascinating. And I don't know any police police people. I don't know, policemen, policewomen. Police My, officers, yeah. Police officers, yes, thank you. Um, to ask, but, but I would imagine they have to be fairly accurate because people would just, you know, you'd get so many complaints from people if they weren't. Um. I've never read a book about a teacher that's been, apart from the prime of Miss Jean Brodie, but like a contemporary book about a teacher to be able to judge whether I feel that it's accurate. Yes, we yeah we did an episode eight ago, didn't we, on um on whether we wanted to read books about our own professions or not, yes. and whether we, the only, yeah I think the only teacher one I can remember reading is a Miss Reed, which I did we do for this for the podcast Fresh from the Country. Oh, yes, I love that book, and actually. Mm. That book was very true to the experience of being a teacher, but then Miss Reed was a teacher herself. Yeah, um, yeah. And what I found quite surprising about that, I mean, it was in the 1950s that book was written and how much has not changed. Um, and, you know, it's fascinating to me that even then it was perfectly normal to have a class of 50 kids um, and to just get on with it. So, I mean, obviously we don't have 50 kids in the classroom nowadays, but, I mean, it's, um, yeah, we think that things have got, worse over time but actually I don't think that's necessarily true and perhaps if more books were written about the workplace then we would know this wouldn't we true (laughs) Um, I do like it when novelists pick quite unexpected or strange professions and that maybe that's more in modern novels but um I think of Edward Carey's Observatory Mansions which is uh the, the main character in that who's a horrible person but his profession is living statue so uh, <laughs> certainly not read any novel of that before, but it's a very quirky, strange novel, quite a mean novel in some ways. I don't think it's his best one, but uh, but it is very interesting. He's obviously just seen one and thought, wonder what they do when they go home. Um, in that case, he steals beloved objects from everyone else in his apartment building and forms a museum. So there's that. That's fascinating. Uh, and he also wrote Little, um, which is about um, Madame Two Swords. So that's also another interesting job, isn't it? That's true. Yeah, very unusual one. Uh, I think he, I think he likes doing that slightly, slightly um, yeah, strange look at people. I mean, yeah, uh, Swallowed Man is about a carver of 
boys, I guess, Vincent Giovetti. Yeah. But, uh, and the other one who does, the other author who does it a lot is Magnus Mills, who, uh, have, you, have you read any Magnus Mills? I don't think I have, no. He's still writing, you know, he's one of, he's very um, sort of spare, quite, slightly surreal, but uh, um, I guess it is slightly surreal, but, uh, but I find them very f- enjoyable and funny and odd. Uh, and he's done, so there's one called The Maintenance of Headway, which is about a bus driver, um, there's one called um, The Restraint of Beasts, which is about people who have the job of fencing, putting up fencing, uh, and and then become murderers. So the, the, there's always a weird spin on them, but he always starts with with maybe a, maybe a, a less glamorous job that's there in everyday life that you wouldn't think uh, that much about from the outset, mm. from the outside rather. Um, my favourite of his, I think, is Three to See the King, which is... Uh, I'm not sure there's any jobs in there, although at some point everyone becomes involved in quarrying, but it's it's a very surreal place where, where people live at very, uh, they live in these different houses that are miles apart from each other in this desert land, and then rumours come that there's something going on in the distance, and they gradually all head off that way, and there's this big quarry, and no one knows quite why it's there, but they get embroiled in working in it. Very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Well, I really like jobs that, for me, stuff you know that that has a bit of glamour to it so i um really enjoyed reading um the good companions by jb Priestley, which is is about a group of people who are traveling um theater troupe um so i really enjoyed seeing sort of the behind the scenes of that and you see the practical side of it as well as the actual performing side of it so understanding how theaters are booked and um how they come up with the acts they're going to do and how they do the marketing and the publicity because J.B. Priestley was in the theatre himself. It's all very true to life. And um, I found that you know absolutely brilliant, all the detail of that. And I really love Angela Carter's book, Wise Children, which is also about two people, um, twins who were in the theatre. Um, and Love of Seven Dolls as well by Paul Gallico, which mm, is yeah. a circus, isn't it? Or a fair? No, it's a fair. Oh, it's a pap- puppeteer, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I have um, I've mentioned this several times. Secret dreams of being um, a gypsy who travels round with um, a fairground, and I feel in my heart that that is my true calling. <laughs> like, um, anything that kind of gives a glimpse of that, and that's also in the the Thrush Green um, series, the first couple, uh, the first couple of books. You see the the travelling fair, and you see the people who work there. Um, I think that's probably why I love that book so much because it had to oh. yeah, really. In, so I love those sorts of things that give you a glimpse into a life that you, you know, might look at from the outside and think, oh, that's really cool or that's really glamorous. And then you learn a little bit more perhaps about how challenging it might be or the practicalities of it that you might not have considered. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that a lot of the books that I read and that you read as well are written by a class at a time when it was unlikely that the author had a job uh, or writing was their job. And that's why you see so often in novels of the say 20s and 30s and earlier that the, if there is a job, they're a writer or they're an artist, the sort of thing Mm -hmm. that was, it was acceptable for a upper middle class woman to do without looking like she was cheapening herself by earning her living in inverted commas. Um, And or the jobs, they just don't have jobs. They're just, uh, I don't really want to say housewives because, or, because they weren't doing the housework. <laughs> they had staff, but, you know, managing staff, I guess, and maybe seeing their children occasionally. Yes. Uh, or it's, even in more modern novels, it might be that the job 
just doesn't appear a bit like in an episode of friends or something where they have jobs but somehow they're all able to hang out at three o'clock in the afternoon (laughs) on on a weekday uh so i think it it does seem like um a really conscious decision if we do see a lot of the job and it's not just there a set dressing where the actual story is about the group of friends or the family or you know some other circle whereas it whereas it is interesting i think when it's a workplace one where the actual key relationships are um within that sphere which actually reminds me when you said teaching i'd forgotten about war among ladies by eleanor scott which has just been reprinted by the british library which is set in a school it's basically about infighting between uh female teachers at a school in the 1910s 20s i should know the 30s i wrote the afterword i should know when it was (laughs) (laughs) it was a while ago (laughs) it's a very good book it actually wasn't one that i suggested uh for the series but um i do think it is brilliant and very it's quite a sad book but very clever i do i do enjoy um books set in schools and also universities i mean david lodge has got the the um market for campus novels about university lecturers in britain oh i hated nice work i love the british museum is falling down i mean that's absolutely hilarious and so true about academics and um the kind of like there's a whole there's there's a character who's basically whole existence is built around studying the most niche thing possible that he absolutely hates but it's really trendy (laughs) and it's you just think like and all the infighting and everything else i just think it's absolutely brilliant you just imagine the daggers at dawn in the department office um i think you know what's interesting is that you know for for many of us these days you know we spend most of our time sadly at work um and i feel like perhaps we could do with a few more um work-based novels to kind of explore that i mean apart from there seems to be a sort of unique glamour attached to police and detective Mm. stuff but i think actually you know there's a lot of stuff that could go down in your average average office environment and people always refer to like police procedurals but what about like office worker procedurals we're still doing procedures (laughs) why not and there's always stuff going i mean there's so much you know gossip and um you know illicit behavior i'm sure that must go on behind the scenes in places i mean i'd love to read about different workplaces and you know jobs that i've never done like you know what goes on in i don't know an accountant's office what goes on in publishers like that sort of thing it would be really interesting to know i mean i wouldn't want to read a book just about that but i think it's interesting when that's the setting and the possibilities for what what could happen yeah, speaking of glamorous, I did just read Swing Time by Zadie Smith not long ago, and that um, there's various characters, but one of the major characters is a pop star who's clearly based on Madonna, <laughs> or at least someone quite like her. Uh, and that's yeah, it's interesting when you get behind the the sort of front of a of a career and try and uh, or, or or the sort of job that is only really in headlines and very hard for the ordinary person to relate to, and then try and make them maybe not relatable, but try and see the nuts and bolts of what that's like. Um, which I think is hard to do successfully because this the sort of career you expect to see more in a romance or something frothy where that not that all romances are frothy, but yeah, something that is it's about the superficiality. Um and did jar slightly with the other jobs in the novel, in fact. But uh yeah, I do think it is hard for someone who's not had a job to write but convincingly about a job, particularly if it's one that most people don't see. Because even if people get teaching 
books wrong if they're not very good at portraying what it's like to be a teacher they certainly have been around teachers you know they've been in the school they've been in shops they've been in these places where they see these jobs they've they've probably seen policemen they might know doctors all these sorts of things whereas yeah if it's about someone in publishing unless you've worked in publishing you don't really know what's going on there yeah um which i mean maybe that matters i don't know for me it probably doesn't matter if i'm reading about a book about a career that I don't know anything about, I'm willing just to say, sure, I believe you. Let's yeah. go with it. <laughs> <laughs> or if it's just a generic office job where it's the, the, the dynamics are really the office, it's not really about the details of the job. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. But yes, would appreciate other suggestions for older novels which do jobs in detail yeah. because they do seem a bit few and far between. And I think it's always interesting to see um, what was going on. Yeah. So, do you care where characters work, Rachel? I do, because I think it tells you a lot about a person, about their job, what they do, and how they feel about it. So, yes, I really do. Yes, me too. I think I would be quite drawn to workplace novels, um, particularly unusual workplaces. Yeah. Thank you for suggesting the topic, Rachel. You're very welcome. Thank you for rephrasing it. Uh, for the middle of it, we've got a question that's really just for me, uh, but I will, I will both ask it and answer it. It's from Lindsay. Uh, and I must have mentioned Laura Wood's novels in a previous episode, I think a couple of episodes ago. Um, the Star... Nope, that's not right. What are they called? A s- Snowfall of Silver and A Sky Painted Gold. I don't remember what context I mentioned them in, um, but they're both young adult books set in the early 20th century that I really like and Lindsay astutely emailed in saying Simon you don't like young adult novels or books published (laughs) historical Mm -hmm. novels why are you recommending these what makes these different it's a great question Um, I will say that my dislike of historical novels really is particularly about books set uh, maybe pre-Victorian I find or indeed the further back in time we get the more I think they I don't want to read them. Like a book set in medieval times, no thank you, absolutely not. Whereas the nearer we get to present day, the bit, I'm still, I feel a bit happier doing it. So that's one reason. Like I don't mind, I'd rather read a book published at the time, but I can cope with that. And then, yeah, I, I think I did say in our young adult or not young adult episode that I don't like or don't read many young adult novels, but there's a certain time and place. And sometimes if I want something relaxing, I know they're not all relaxing, but they're easy to read and, and you can sort of whip through them because they're obviously written for... Uh, a lower age so if I want something that's just relaxing and fun then I might well look at that sort of book but to be honest it's really because Sarah Manning on Instagram recommended them and she knows what's up (laughs) so there you go hope that helps Lindsay and I will say as well you know as someone who who has had to spend quite a lot of my uh, life so far reading young adult novels for work um they are surprisingly very 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 good these days um and, you know, I wouldn't actually say that the the gap between young adult and adult is that great anymore, would you? Yes, yeah, true. I guess I don't read enough maybe to know, but um, but I think you're probably right. I think particularly, you know, there's a lot of novels for adults that are very uh, easy to read and they're not, particu- they're not going for like sophisticated uh, language or and it's sophisticated anything really that it's easy reads and yeah it, it does seem to be sometimes it's just the fact that the protagonist is a teenager is the, yeah. certainly the, the only difference really i think there's a bit of snobbery yeah well I, actually it's interesting i read um kashiro Zaguri's new book what's that called the one about robots 
Oh, oh, um, oh gosh. Is, is, is it just called them or something like that? No, it's not. It's called. Um, oh, no, oh, Clara and the Sun. Clara and the Sun. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I don't know where I got them from. Uh, and uh, reading it for my book club, and I thought if this didn't have Kazuo Shigeru's name on the cover, it reads exactly like a young adult novel. It's it's very, um, it's not particularly elevated language uh, or or prose or anything. It's you know nice and easy to read. It's about teenagers. It's, it's uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's interesting to me that it was treated as, as literary fiction because it had the name of someone who is known for doing literary fiction but i couldn't see anything in it that made it not a young adult novel no well there we are yeah, yeah. Uh, i should say that lindy wasn't saying that she didn't like young adult novels or historical fiction she was just questioning my inconsistencies yes. in a love in a very lovely way um so on to um a helping hand celia dale and the true deceiver by tevi Anson. please pick one to introduce to us um, I will do a helping hand, please. Great. No, I can't remember anybody's name. <laughs> um, I'm gonna Mrs. Evans it. and Mrs. Fingal are the main two. Yes. So um a helping hand has just been republished by Dawn Books. It was originally written in the nineteen sixties, I believe. And um it's about a a woman called Mrs. Fingal, right? No, She's the older lady. Mrs. Evans, who, and who lives with her husband. She's sort of of indeterminate age. She's sort of middle age. We don't actually know how old she is. And um, we open up when she's on. They're on holiday in Italy, and um, they pick up her and her husband. Pick up Mrs. Fingal, who's in her seventies, and uh, he's on holiday with her niece. And her niece very obviously does not want to be there, and does not want to be looking after. Um, her her aunt she's not actually sort of her aunt by marriage it's not a sort of blood relation and she's just been foisted on her and so they get into conversation and gradually it transpires that um mrs fingal would love to have somewhere else to live and the Evanses offer um their house and they said you know their previous um tenant who was also an elderly lady who they looked after has, has recently died and, and they've got space for someone else and so it, it seems on the surface that that they're kind of using um these elderly people as, as a sort of way to make a bit of extra money and she sort of used to be a nurse and she enjoys caring for people but once mrs fingal arrives in the house um the care becomes uh well problematic in many ways i won't say too much and um there seems to then start to become a much darker and uh distressing power relationship um and yeah it's absolutely fascinating portrayal of um, how you can destroy someone slowly i suppose yeah yeah and um rachel suggested the true deceiver alongside because it's another interesting uh story of two people who look like they might be helping each other but might not be or particularly one way i guess so it's um translated from swedish by thomas teal and it's the two main characters are anna and katri and anna is sort of a tevi jansen stand-in in some ways in as much as she's famous for illustrating children's books uh, but wishes that she was able to just to draw the ground so is um, tevi jansen had the same sort of uh, mild resentment i guess that she was considered a moomin cartoonist rather than a a portrait artist which mm. indeed a painter in general which is what she thought of herself primarily as 
Um, so yeah, Anna writes these children's books of rabbits covered in flowers. She lives in this house in a village which um, is sort of one end of the village, doesn't have much contact with other people there other than just going to the shop. Katri and her brother Mats live um, also in the village, but they don't suit. They don't know each other very well. Katri is completely without um, any sentiment or wish to embrace uh, to ingratiate herself with others. She's basically quite rude, or more just forthright, really. But she does care for her brother Mats, who loves ships. Um, he's not really, uh, I guess, mentally developed enough to get a full time job working. Uh, with ships but or being a ship designer which is what he wants to do but um yeah it's not quite clear exactly what's going on with him but he's he's clearly uh have some has had some developmental issues and these two women get to know each other when uh catchy stages are breaking to uh and suggests that she and matt's move in to look after anna and what's i think it's yeah it's really interesting because it's uh, clearly Catri's plan at the outset, but it's very nuanced as to who is really changing whom and who has got the advantage in this relationship. And uh, yeah, really interesting dynamics of what's going on. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, and this was, I think, the third or fourth time I've reread The True Deceiver, which, um, yeah. I, yeah, I really love it. It's, uh, I think it's my favourite of her books. It's definitely the darkest of her books. It's not um ominous or particularly well well it's not scary but there is that there is a sense of um darkness in the character's motivations i guess that you don't see in her other novels and short yeah. stories uh something i thought was interesting about both books both do really well is absolute consistency of tone throughout in as much as a helping hand i felt filled with dread by the end of page two or something and without yeah. even knowing why because at that point they're basically just on holiday, but something, and I don't know how she does it, but Celia Dale just suffuses the whole thing with that sense of tension and dread. So you know something's coming and you know it's not going to be good, but you don't, yeah, even before you really see it coming, it's it's there uh, throughout. And similarly, The True Deceiver, it's it's not a sense of dread, but there is um, that the, the quite curious tone that she has throughout of being... Um, I guess these brittle relationships that no one's quite saying what they mean. Yeah, you, you feel you feel that the whole time, and you're always again slightly on edge. You can't. Neither of these novels let you be comfortable, do they? No, and I think you're right about. Well, you're exactly right in what you say, and I, I found that interesting too. You know, you start a helping hand, and they're on holiday in Italy, and it's sunny and lovely, but straight away there's just something that's not right. That's something that's off kilter, and. Um, I think she's very good at writing this kind of domineering female. I think that's what's interesting is that, is that you've got this very dominant woman and her husband who seems to be um, quite furtive in his behaviour when she's mm. not there. He's very flirtatious with mm. the niece um, and there's a sense that he's being kept under a very tight rein and the minute that he's allowed to you know be on his own and when he pretends to be ill one day so that he can just have the day by himself and he gets up to sort of mischief and there's something a bit deviant about him and it makes you wonder what sort of man would marry a woman like that and what sort of woman would marry a man like that and it made me start thinking okay, so this is something about power and control. Hmm. And then why does she want to look after somebody else? And then I was like, well, again, that's about power and control. And it's all very subtly done. There's never, anything's ever, never said. 
Um, and there's nothing that anyone does in the book that is actually criminal in any way. And that's what's so interesting. Yeah, other than like, you know, stealing a few pillowcases or something. It's, yeah. yeah, I think um, it's basically a thriller, isn't it, of seeing yeah. uh, this, as you say, the power dynamics because she is gradually confining Mrs. Fingal to the house and then to her room. Uh, she's, yeah, they turn then to her bed. They're basically trying to limit her yeah. completely until she dies. Uh, I think the interesting difference between the two books, and they're because they're trying to do different things, is that there's not much psychological nuance in a helping hand in the sense of who's the good guy who's the bad guy it's very clear throughout that mr and mrs evans are not good people and they're yeah. not and they're not acting altruistically and that's you know Celia Dale's not trying to get them not trying to show us you know more nuance they're, they're nuanced in many ways but not in morality particularly yeah. whereas yeah the true deceiver i think is much psych- more psychologically s- subtle and interesting uh, of course, because she's trying to do a different sort of book, it's not a thriller. It is basically a psychological novel, I think. Yeah. I think um, for me, True Deceiver, um, up to that point, I'd only ever read um, the summer book and the winter book. So I was quite taken aback by how dark I found it. And I thought this is a side of her I didn't know existed as a writer. And I felt that sense of ominousness the whole way through. I felt that, you know, she's just, she's not a good person. And, um, but also there's quite a lot of, everyone in this book seems to be sort of damaged in some way. And I thought it was quite interesting. I thought about it in terms of that kind of Scandinavian climate as well, like the darkness, Mm. because it's set, I mean, I I didn't actually reread it, but um, it's set from memory in the in the winter is i remember everything being sort of snow and ice well they've put yeah and particularly they've put katri gets rid of all her old heirlooms and photo albums and things and leaves them on the ice where at some point the ice will break and that's how they get rid of their rubbish <laughs> they just leave all the rubbish yeah. on, the, on the ice to, to plunge under at some point and so it's there like this sort of looming shadow in the background all the time well there's all my things she's taken i could go and get them back but yeah uh, and she said she's doing it to help and maybe she is doing it to help because she's not doing it She's not acting in open malice or open greed in the way that uh, Mrs. Evans is. It is no. just, you never quite know what, the, you, the only thing you know Katri really wants is good things for her brother. And that's, no. yeah. Because it also comes in with this business mind where Anna has been very, she, she's allowed herself to be cheated by uh, by her publishers, basically by all these contracts she's signing for rabbit dolls and things. Uh, or maybe not cheated, but just taken advantage of. She's got very, very poor um, recompense. And Katri helps with these things, which is really interesting. Um, I think it's such a Janssen thing to look at that and think, yes, yeah, she's got her more money, but now she doesn't trust people. And now Anna doesn't trust people anymore. And what's what's more important, to be made a fool of or to trust people? Because yeah. when, she, when she was taken advantage of and trusted people, she was happier than she is now. And, and whereas Katri's worldview is you mustn't let anyone take advantage of you. So, yeah, it's an interesting clash. Yeah. And I think there's a there's a sense of sort of a lack of trust in other people and the whole world's against you. And, you know, this is a very, they're very, she's a very lonely person because she feels that she can't, you know, make meaningful connections with anyone else because if she does, they're going to just, you know, they're going to hurt her or they're going to damage her in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like Mrs. Evans, you know, she doesn't actually have any friends. She's yeah, just yeah. interested in people for what she can 
get out of them it's a very manipulative way of life but also a very lonely way of life and they've created a world where it's just the two of them as a couple and it's clear that Mr Evans would like some external contact but he's sort of denied that and their world is so small that you know they walk to the end of the road they go she goes shopping I think once a week doesn't she she sells her knitting or something Mm. um, her knitting designs and comes back again and I think the claustrophobia of these worlds as well was added to their the kind of disturbing atmosphere for me yeah and something I found interesting in Helping Hand which brought a bit of lightness into it is when the the waitress they've met in um in Italy also also arrives in England at their house uh, and she's this breath of fresh air she's a good person again it's not, there's not that much subtlety if people are good or not but she's good uh, and she's got this boyfriend who's back in or fiance who's back in Italy and you know, he's called Mario and when he first was mentioned because I've been in that mindset of dread I thought he is not going to come for you he doesn't care about you he's like he must just be another nerdwell and then he's actually that's a really loving relationship and yeah. it's this ray of light in the novel that's not that's not a massive part of it but it, i think it helps alleviate the sense of darkness and also show you that the way that mrs evans particularly and mr evans are behaving is not normal in the world that celia dale's created they are anomalies in this world uh, which i makes them seem both worse but also makes the world of the novel seem lighter maybe yeah I mean I really enjoyed that her coming in and and her recognizing immediately that something was wrong and she tries to rectify the situation she brings a sort of sense of hope and the fact that she's young as well it sort of gives a sense that you know the younger generation will bring a kind of you know um there's hope for the future and you know if she has oh I won't say everything actually yeah (laughs) but um it's it's nice that um, that does lift, yeah, it does lift the mood. But I was also really worried when she arrived because I thought, oh my god, are they going to do something to her? Mm-hmm. Going to try and shut her up or something? And it didn't go down that route. But I thought it's interesting that she didn't choose to go down that route, and she didn't choose to go down a route where anything overtly wrong. Because you know, as I said before, there is nothing. I was waiting the whole time for there to be, you know to be smothered or poisoned or whatever but <laughs> it's that's what I think is what makes it so effective is mm-hmm. that nobody could ever at any point say that they've done anything wrong yeah. but they have but you can't you can't pinpoint and maybe even they don't think they have I don't know but um yeah there's an interesting line to, I don't quote from the true deceiver which is um I think shows what I'm saying about Janssen not oh no don't do that <laughs> still there Hargreaves don't walk on the laptop um yes what I was plowing what I'm saying about uh the idea that people aren't as good or bad but quite nuanced is, is the first line of chapter two perhaps the reason people called Anna Amelin nice was because nothing had ever forced her to exhibit malice and because she had an uncommon ability to forget unpleasant things and I really liked that uh that sort of Janssen, very practical, unsentimental way of looking at what morality is. She's saying it's a the, the fact that people think you've got a good or bad in the world she creates is based on how easy your life is and how people interact with you, essentially. And an uncommon ability to figure out unpleasant things is great. You know, it's a, yeah. none of these things are about her actually being virtuous or not. And similarly, Katri, some people think she's not, you know, she's maybe the villain, but it's really just everyone there is behaving 
the best they can with their personality and their circumstances. Yeah, and um, I think it's, I mean, Tilvi Janssen is such a psychological writer. I think she's mm. really good at getting under the skin of people. Um, and I think it's quite interesting to think about that that novel because you get to the end and it's, you know, there's that ambiguity of, um, you know, who is the deceiver? Who is the person who mm-hmm. has hurt the other? Um, and, you know, there, there isn't that sense of ambiguity in, in Celia Dale's work. I think what's interesting is that her her skill is at creating a world that on the surface is perfectly ordinary and there's nothing... Yeah, yeah. It's using normality or ordinariness to create uh, a kind of atmosphere of dread and, um, you know, it's disturbing and it's also a perfectly normal suburban house as well and thinking about what goes on behind closed doors, yeah. that's a disturbing element of it. Um, so they both do it in very different ways, which um, makes them intriguing. And I'm wondering, were they written around the same time? That's a good question. Let's see. Um, the True Deceiver was written in Swedish in um, 1982. It's actually quite a late one. Oh yeah. Uh, whereas I think you're yes, I think you're right. That Celia Dale's novel was the 60s. Let's have a look. Yeah, 66. And it, yet it feels the prose felt incredibly modern. Yeah, me. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very fresh. Yeah, it's very sparse prose in some ways. You know, um, she doesn't get bogged down in details. No. Yeah, so as you say, they're two quite uh, different approaches. It's yeah. the T.O. Books decision-making time. Which book are you going to pick? Gosh, it's a tough choice, actually, because they're both excellent in their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'd go with Tova Janssen because I find her a slightly more sophisticated writer. However, I do still think that um, the senior dad is excellent and I'm interested to read more of her work. Yes, I think they're both, as you say, brilliant. And I think the Celia Dale is one of the best versions of that sort of book I've ever read, that sort of domestic noir thriller type thing. But, I mean, The True Deceiver is one of my favourite books anyway, so anything put up against it was going to be tricky. So, yeah, it also gets my vote. Oh, well, we're in agreement. In agreement all through the episode. Yeah, (laughs) Let's see if we are with the next episode, which will be about... MJ Farrell and Molly Keane, who you some people will know is the same person. So we're looking at <laughs> Full House by uh, MJ Farrell, which was a pseudonym for Molly Keane. Uh, she had this period at the beginning of her career writing under the pseudonym, maybe something like eight novels, maybe, and then came back years, 20 or so years later with another three, including Good Behaviour, which is what we'll be doing next episode. So that's Good Behaviour by Molly Keane and Full House by MJ Farrell. Very exciting. I look forward to talking to you then. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.